there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. What up? It's the Crossover Pod. I'm Howard Beck, senior writer for Sports Illustrated. We have reached the dog days of the NBA summer. It's official. Go look at your calendar. It says it, all capital letters, dog days. Um, All the big names have been signed. Summer League is over. Congrats to your 2021 Summer League champs, the Sacramento Kings. Half the league is on vacation, and we're now down to debating silly things like video game rankings. Uh, Also on vacation, my co-host, Chris Mannix. But there's still plenty to discuss. So for that, I recruited my good friend Sam Amick of The Athletic. We will talk about his recent sit-down with Monty Williams, a really great piece. We'll dive into the Draymond Katie interview that got all the headlines a couple days ago. And I've got six burning questions of the offseason for Sam and I to answer, putting ourselves on the spot a little bit. Before we get to that, a reminder, please subscribe, rate, and review The Crossover wherever you get your podcasts. Hit me with your feedback on Twitter, at Howard Beck. Also, this podcast, The Crossover, and all SI podcasts can now be found on YouTube with full video. Yeah, you can see me yammering if it's not enough just to listen to me yammering. Um, Go to YouTube and search Sports Illustrated Podcasts. That channel has the Crossover Pod, the Media Pod with Jimmy Traina, the MMQB Podcast, our friends at the Open Floor Pod, all of it, all there at Sports Illustrated Podcasts on YouTube. Go check it out. Okay, promoting time over. My chat with Sam Amick is coming up next. So stick around. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Back. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. 
Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. Now, very pleased to be joined by a great friend, great reporter. Uh, so great, in fact, that I'm willing to overlook his college affiliation. He is a national NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick. I call him Samick. How are you, sir? Beck, how are you, my friend? It's good to see you. Like we said off air, I, I saw you about three days ago in a different Zoom setting, but same Brooklyn Bridge behind you, same uh, cheery face. What's up, brother? Uh, doing great, man. Thank you. Uh, and, and look, you skipped right past my like very slight, very subtle insult of, Sac, <laughs> of Sac State. Go Hornets. So, Screw the Aggies. Let, let's get into that's it. That's what we need. We've got to get that out of the way. Go Ags. Well, I don't know what you guys are doing with your stingers and they're up, they're stingers up, stingers down. I don't know what you're doing. Stingers, stingers are up, wine, wine finger. Yeah, whatever it is. <laughs> um, glad you could join me in the dog days of the off season, uh, which is where we are. I think the dog days actually started like 48 hours after free agency opened because right. everything got done immediately. Um, we're all sitting around waiting for, you know, some shoe to drop, a, a Ben Simmons deal, a, a Dame Lillard trade demand, something. Um, which may or may not happen. So in the meantime, we've got a month and a half or something until training camps. Not a lot going on, which is when we get some of the stranger off-season controversies and manufactured controversies, things like a poll of 10 people determining whether we should have a debate about who the best player in the NBA is. We'll right. get to that. Uh, we've got players uh, from a recent champion interviewing each other and creating a stir. We'll get to that. Uh, but before we get to that, um, one great way to spend the offseason is uh, people should read your recently posted story on Monty Williams, the Suns head coach, of course, that posted on The Athletic on Monday. Um, great sit down you had with Monty, who, of course, is unfailingly thoughtful, always uh, great interview with him uh, while you guys were in Vegas. There was definitely one thing above all else that's, that jumped out to me on that story. But um, for those who haven't read it yet, uh, what hit you the most in your hour sit down with Monty that, that maybe was, was new or, or another layer there as, uh, as he sits here absorbing still the finals disappointment. Uh, a couple of thoughts there. And thank you for the, the promo on it. I mean, honestly, the setting for one of where we talked, I found fascinating because as you saw in the interview, it's like, as we sit there and, and talk about his off season, he is painting a picture of his property in Texas, uh, seven acres in the country and feeding deer and fishing and building walls. And it's very, it's incredibly um, natural and it's, you know, outdoorsy. And, and he's sharing this stuff while we're sitting in an empty cafe inside the Wynn Casino. And, and just Monty Williams is probably like the most anti-Vegas person you could ever know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that was kind of a joke at the top where we're, we had agreed to meet and, and it, this was a kind of charming. We, I, we agreed to meet, but literally as I'm texting him, it was, you know, Hey, where are you at? And it's, I'm in uh, the lobby. Well, at the wind, I mean, the lobby is like the size of a small town. And so we're trying to find each other. And then we, we didn't really know where we were going to sit. And so he, he, I thought he was kidding, but he literally motions to the stools by some slot machines. And he says, do you want to sit here? I'm going, I mean, I've, I've been doing this reporting job long enough to know how we're like, if you say yes to something like that, it's pro you're probably going to have a 10 minute interview and it's not going to be very good. And it was like, all right, let's find somewhere a little more comfortable and, and a little more on brand than the. Can I, uh, can I interrupt real quick? Because yes. as, I'm, as I'm reading your story and this anecdote is unfolding at the top, my first thought is 
your recorder's going to pick up nothing but slot machines. You can't right. sit there. My first thought was like, no, Sam, don't, don't, don't interview him by the, by the slot See, machines. You'll never so you're focused on the technology and, and with good reason. <laughs> I, I was more just like the, un, like the lack of comfort. You know what I mean? Like you want to yeah. get, you want to get comfortable. And so thankfully I, I mean, I, I was a little surprised that I had to kind of persuade him off the slot machine stool. I think he actually <laughs> sat down for a minute and then say, all right, there's a cafe over here. And it was perfect. It was, you know, uh, late afternoon, early evening. And um, as far as the stuff that we got into, I'd probably say, and this was not the intent, we, we kind of went down this road right at the top of him discussing his own spirituality and the way that he has kind of learned how to use it within an NBA locker room. And, and he got me thinking about Mark Jackson and the old Warriors teams. And this is something we don't talk about a lot when it comes to the NBA, but I think Monty you know, the short version is that he talked about how in his New Orleans coaching days that he essentially, for you know, lack of a better way of putting it, he was a lot more preachy than he is now. And it did not land with some guys. And he's found a way to be himself, to not impress himself upon everybody in the room in the kind of way that makes him uncomfortable and was quick to say, you know, listen, we've got folks within our organization who, you know, who are Muslim, who are Mormon, who are, you know, um, agnostic, uh, atheist, whoever you want, you know, but he's found a way to be himself and to not make others uncomfortable, but to inspire at the same time, which I think is to a tricky thing to pull off. And having been around those Suns teams in the playoffs or this Suns team, I thought he did a nice job of that because they, they kind of have his spirit, but it's not, it's not too much. That, that was a really fascinating part of it, Sam. And I'm glad you brought it up because um, one of the things that I found frustrating over the years, I'm sure you've had this experience too, is like, you interview, whether it's a player, whether it's a coach, but I think especially with coaches, by the time a guy gets to his second or third stop, because that's how it goes. You get hired, you get your first break, it's usually with a bad team, um, you get fired after a couple of years, you resurface somewhere else. And we're always asking this you know, obvious question of, well, what have you learned along the way? And you always get these very bland, uh, you know, ambiguous answers. And here is Monty Williams telling you straight up, because it was a long interval between head coaching jobs, in part because obviously some personal tragedy that, that intervenes too. But it was a, a pretty long interval between his New Orleans time and the Phoenix opportunity. But he was very blunt with you about this is one of the things he learned. And right. he, he cited Chris Paul specifically. And it wasn't entirely about the spirituality part of it. I think that bleeds into it. But I think it was also just his trying to do the authoritarian father figure type right. And right. it's a young Chris Paul in New Orleans. And then he's realizing, you no, know, Chris Paul tells him outright, I, I got a dad. I got a right. father. Right. And so even those things, because that's the stuff that coaches have to learn the most. It's not how to drop a t- play for out, you know, out of bounds plays. It's how to relate to players and manage egos and all these other things. Right. And so like that was a really amazing and, and fascinating admission by, by Monty talking about um, both of those things, and they again they bleed into each other. But the it's it, it, like it's all under the umbrella of leadership and how you lead, and why why he's better at it now maybe than he was in New Orleans. Right, and to cap that point, I, I love the fact that his one of his takeaways was all right in New Orleans. You know, I made people feel some kind of way from Chris Paul on down, but then he harkened back a little bit to his childhood and how he says, "Listen, I'm the guy that grew up outside of D.C. and my grandfather used to marvel at the fact that I could fit in with anybody. They'd get out of church." And he walked across the street and this is a real tough neighborhood. And his grandfather would look at you know him and, and see him all of a sudden, you know, blend right in 
with the young dudes who were certainly not going to church and who were getting in the wrong kind of trouble. And, and he was, you know, buddies with them. And he had that kind of personality where, you know, he could be a unifier or whatever you want to call it. I do think that served him really well as a coach, especially this kind of older and wiser version. Yeah, absolutely. So I thought that was fascinating. And then the other piece, of course, was um, the now famous slash infamous slash weirdly controversial Monty Williams giving a speech to the Bucks after they've beaten his team for the championship. And this is such a, uh, a, a, a you know, it just perfectly exemplifies where we are in 2021 um, in NBA Twitter world, in social media, in the world, period, that we could have two very starkly different interpretations of this when that video went viral. Right. Many, many folks, I was in this camp, went, wow, that is Monty Williams to a T, classy um, and, and just gracious in this, this moment of defeat. He'd just been on the, the podium where he was really emotional about the loss. And here he is, has the wherewithal and the ability to stand there in the Bucks locker room and say, hey, man, you guys, this was great. You guys taught us a lot. Congratulations, whatever. And then, of course, there was an imme- <laughs> this swift backlash of, no, that wasn't gracious. That wasn't classy. That was that was all about him. That was, and I, I couldn't even imagine. I, I mean, we could all be cynical, especially in the media business. I could not imagine interpreting it that way. And I kind of understood why some people went there. But I, and as it turns out, and you will, you can explain because he was very open about it with you. It was not purely either of those things. It definitely wasn't the negative thing, I don't think. And it wasn't entirely... Bonnie himself says, no, I wasn't going in there to be classy because right. there's actual context to this, which he gave you. Um, I will I will let you uh, explain for those who haven't read it yet. Yeah, I mean, you know me well enough to know I'm, I'm always a sucker. I, mean, I think you and I have this in common. Like, I'm a sucker for context and nuance, right? And so <laughs> I kind of just wanted to learn more about beyond the 19 second clip that we saw on the ESPN social media feed, you know, and how did he wind up in there? What precluded that or or preceded that rather? And so as he tells the story, he comes out of his post finals press conference, which was pretty emotional. uh, When Rachel Nichols asked him about how are you processing this loss, gave a great answer, choked up a little bit and and kind of cut the press conference a little short. I mean, he'd been going for a while, but he essentially decided all right, that's a good place to leave it. So he walks out of the room, and as he tells the story, that he basically physically walks into Giannis as he opens the door and, and enters the hallway. And it then becomes a situation of, all right, let me greet Giannis, and then how am I going to play this? Giannis was real welcoming, essentially kind of was almost shepherding him towards the Bucks locker room, like, hey, come in and say hi to the guys. And he says, he goes, I thought we were going to go in and probably connect with Mike Budenholzer the Bucks coach and John Horst, their GM, maybe a couple players. Even, you know, as far as context, he tells other stories that that I thought were illuminating that, you know, when they beat the Denver Nuggets, GM Tim Conley had come to their locker room and done something similar. And, and even going all the way back to his childhood, he had his other grandfather who, when Monty was a sore loser as a kid, that he'd get, he'd get a little bit of a whooping if he was a sore loser. loser. And, and so he had learned, you know, to try to be graceful, uh, you know, graceful with it. And next thing you know, he looks up and he's in the middle of their celebration. And, you know, Giannis or somebody says to turn the music off and he gives about a 20 second, 25 second speech. I thought he struck the right chords. It's fine if, if other you know people see it differently. I get it. Uh, I think the context matters, though, and it seems obvious and clear that it was real organic and, and pretty authentic. 
Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, the idea that this was somehow premeditated, that Monty Williams comes off the podium all emotional, broken up, not to mention just the sting of this defeat is as fresh as can be. Yeah. And he's thinking, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go give the Bucks a, a, a little yeah, pep talk. Yeah. Well, not a pep talk, but a congratulations talk, and it'll be, I'll look really good. Like, you got to be really Machiavellian, really cynical. And there are a few people out there in the <laughs> basketball world I could think of who might actually do that. For I mean, we got to at least call our buddy out because there is one guy who's banging this drum a lot. Is is and I love him to death. Is Amin Hellasan. I mean, yeah, Amin, that's you know. Amin. Yeah. yeah. So I just uh, elephant in the room. I'm gonna acknowledge that. No, but, we're both we're both friends with Amin, and yeah, I, he was the most prominent person banging that that particular drum, and I thought he was way out of line or way yeah. off base. I don't agree. Uh, and, and to your point, it, it was kind of this assertion that as if Monty left his press conference and then he. He tracked down a you know some sort of usher to guide him into the Bucks. Like, hey, how do I get to the Bucks locker room? How do I go? Make look good? <laughs> but it's a, it's it was as organic as can be, as he explained to you. Yeah. And it's not and 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 it's not like he had planned any speech at all, much less planning to speak to anybody other than maybe Buttonholzer and and, and John Horst, the GM. So right. it's 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 totally impromptu. And again, this is why it ultimately was as classy and gracious and, and, and impressive and moving as we perceived it to be because it was off the cuff. It was organic. Um, it was not pre-planned and it's admirable. It's admirable to be, to be able to, to do that. Also, he doesn't know that anybody's taping. This is going to go send it out on Twitter. He's also, listen, this is also just who he is. If you go back to when he got fired by the Pelicans, um, you know, and that was a, a real stunner. You know what I mean? You, we, you remember back then? And it was messy. It was messy. Um, you know, I, I'm a little fuzzy on the details, but I remember there was a letter that, that he had essentially been given that, I mean, he thought that he had a playoffs or bust uh, kind of edict and they got to the playoffs. And so we thought he was safe. And so it was messy. And lo and behold, when it happened, I remember that he granted a, uh, an, an interview like on his front porch in New Orleans with local TV where my takeaway at the time was, to, to kind of like take the temperature down on the Pelicans organization because they were getting destroyed. And so here you had Monty saying on local TV, like, listen, I appreciate the opportunity. And, and he took the high road. And it's the same type of style that we yeah. saw, you know, in the Bucks locker room. And, and that's who he is. I mean, ironically, the day before we met, and I mentioned this in the Q&A, um, Del Demps, you know, who's the GM of the Pelicans at that time, was that summer league. And I happened to just notice this real casual uh, moment where Dell walked by, Monty saw him, said hello, certainly didn't seem to be any bad blood there. And it was a little bit of a slice from his past, but this is, it's how he rolls. You know what I mean? It's just how he carries himself. Yeah. Um, well done. That was, that was a really good read. That was fun. People should go check Thanks, that bro. out. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for, or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field. 
Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare zumo play is your destination for endless entertainment with a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels movies and full tv series you'll easily find something to watch right away and the best part it's all free love music get lost in the 90s with iheart 90s dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iheart radio music channels no logins no signups no accounts no hassle so what are you waiting for start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and google play stores today all you can stream with zumo play so let's talk about uh the the two of the stories that um kind of dominated last week in this summer lull um where we just need something to talk about apparently um one of which had some substance and the other one had very little the one with substance was draymond inter- uh interviewing kevin durant sure in a 20 25 minute sit down that I'm assuming, I'm just going to take a couple of guesses. You and I have been in this business a long time. A 25-minute video means the interview was probably more like an hour. So who only knows what was left on the cutting room floor and what pieces they decided, and eh, not good enough, or maybe we lost some context along the way in editing. That happens too. I'm not assuming that, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to assume Respect. that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying that other people should assume that. Listeners should assume that. I, as a media person, I'm going to assume there are a few things that got lost, right? Um, maybe selectively. Um, but I, I thought it was interesting. Obviously, the, the the one clip that got all the play was about Draymond asking Katie point blank, and it's a really like that's a dramatic, poignant thing where a guy who was involved in a very public, nationally televised dust up shouting match, whatever you want to call it. Ask the other guy, eh, so am I the reason you left? <laughs> did, I, did I kind of screw up? Was that wrong? It's just Costanza asking the uh, the boss, was that wrong? Um, but it's what came next that's interesting, and I don't want to lead the witness. So you tell me what you thought of, of what came of that question, because that is what got all the attention. I, I have a, a take on that that well, I'll reserve for the moment. Well, to your point, two couple thoughts here. For one, I'm just fascinated by the media part of this from the standpoint of what moves the needle versus what doesn't as much. Meaning, I think you know this, like Kevin and Draymond already did this interview on the Etc. podcast with Kevin. <laughs> so I don't... Which I'm is little, Durant's podcast, right. Yeah. yeah, and it's just, it's fascinating to me that these two guys, and it's probably a little bit insightful that these two guys are just absolutely bending over backwards to have this conversation you know, multiple times and to kind of, you know, I mean, call it rewrite history, call it, you know, give their side of the story, whatever you want to say to shape the narrative. Uh, that fascinates me that they did it on both you know, platforms. This one seems to have made a lot more noise than the other. Um, that question that you're alluding to, first of all, when Draymond says to him, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, just answer this question so I can sleep at night. I think that is eye-opening because yes. 
like you said, it's like, you know, a little admission, a huge admission that this is something that has tugged at him ever since then. And he's also putting himself out there, right? Like, you know, cause the answer might be, Oh, hell yeah, it was you, you know? And then, and then that would be it. So Kevin decides to answer and they both kind of do by, you know, for all intents and purposes, blaming Steve Kerr and Bob Myers for the way that they handled this thing. So there's, I think there is a lot of nuance here, but it's hard to run away from that reality. Like, yes, that's what they both chose to do was the idea that, all right, you had the flare up, but then if the team wouldn't have handled Draymond the way they did, if the team would have found a way to let these two guys figure it out, everything would have been fine. The main problem I had with that, having covered that story at that time real closely, and I, I even went with the team to Texas when, uh, when kind of in the aftermath of the, the Clippers game fallout, was that, you know, Steve Kerr and Bob Myers could have done nothing, and Kevin and Draymond were not in the position, I don't think, to have that kind of dialogue, to have a let's put everything on the table and figure it out. The Call it the dynamic, call it the vibe, or just the relationship, not only with Draymond, but Kevin and the whole group, I don't think was in the kind of a place where those kinds of conversations were really uh, conversations are really possible. And I think it speaks to the fact that from Draymond on down at the time, there was frustration, not just because it wasn't like, hey, we're mad that Kevin didn't sign a long-term deal. I think it was more the feeling that, you know, that there was a little bit of a one foot in, one foot out mentality. Now to Kevin's point, and this is Kevin's a smart guy and he made a really, you know, valid point with his response, which is like, oh, okay, well, I played 78 games and I played like an MVP. And then I went out and, you know, and, and looked like I was the best player in the world. So like when it comes to dedication to his craft and doing what he's paid to do, he did his job, but sports is a human experience, right? So in the locker room and the way that he was making other people feel and vice versa, um, they, I don't think they were there to solve it in the kind of way that they're acting like they could have now. Yeah. And so it's funny because it's possible to say things that are true and to answer a question with true things and still be misleading, which is what Kevin Durant was doing in that moment. I want to stipulate something real quick before we get further into it. I love both these guys. Uh, I've had some great conversations with Draymond, not as recently with Kevin Durant. Um, he's It's for a variety of reasons, not the least of all is that uh, we've had this pandemic for a year and a half and it's been hard to see anybody. Um, but these have been two of my favorite players over the last, whatever, 10 years, like of, the, of this generation for a variety of reasons, both personality wise, playing wise, for sure. Um, so nothing against either of them at, at all. But there's a lot of, of kind of misdirection and obfuscation in this, in this whole thing, even as we're all praising them for being willing to sit down and do this and put it on camera and have us all be able to, to peer in while they have this conversation. Even through even even then, there is still some some obfuscation here. Kevin Durant saying, "Yeah, I played seventy eight games and played my butt off and was and was at the top of my game." All, all true. It doesn't mean you didn't have one foot out the door, as you just noted, Sam. It doesn't right. mean that that doesn't have reverberations and implications and and create tensions within the locker room and the organization. It did. <laughs> there were stories all season long, and Draymond himself says, "I thought you were already one foot out the door before we even started the season." Right. Even in the wake of two championships, Durant doesn't even really deny that. He just says, "Well, I played seventy-eight games and I played right. and I played right. really hard." Well, you did. That doesn't necessarily disprove Draymond's point. So there's that. 
to, oh. to underscore that, Howard, real quick, because yeah. now you, you got me kind of going down memory lane in my mind. Yeah. Um, that season, late in the year, and I was relatively new at The Athletic, so I was diving into a new job where you could write deeper with more layers in, in terms of covering things. So I wrote a piece on the Bucks that I, I remember enjoying writing, enjoying reporting, and enjoyed putting together. And it was all about the joy that the Bucks had played with. And it was kind I of remember that piece. On that. Yeah. And like yeah. It, it was just, and it was one of those things. This was not an angle that I that I came up with on my own. It's it's the product of connecting with, you know, a lot of their people and then noticing you know, similar, not talking points, but similar messaging and kind of you know, tones that they were striking. So I write this piece about how the Bucks are being, you know, buoyed for lack of a better way of putting it by this culture they're creating, this kind of the, the way they're carrying themselves and the joy of, of the way they play the game. And then on the back end, hearing from the Warriors side that, damn, like that's, that's what we had past tense. You know what I mean? Like, like that. And that was in the thick of the Durant story when it was like, that is the thing that 78 games doesn't account for. That's the thing that you're hitting on is that, you know, you can, you can accuse us media folks or even the Warriors themselves of, of maybe, you know, call it corny or whatever you want to say, but like that thing they had that did play a part in the 2015 title and then the yeah. kind of the, uh, the emergence from there, they had no interest in losing it. And they were hoping to carry it on with Kevin as part of it. But, you know, and we're not taking sides here in the debate, but to your point, the way that he acted regarding, you know, his future did make it challenging, I think, for the rest of them to feel like that spirit was still there. And was at the very core of the fight that we're talking about yeah. between Durant and Draymond Green. That's what that was. I guess, the, I mean, it was partially about a play and, and a pass not thrown and whatever, but then it led right into... You know, are, are you, you know, we don't even know where you stand. Are you with us or not? Whatever. Like that was right. at the core of it. That was that tension coming in, coming to light. That wasn't a media creation. That was the players themselves having this. So, um, so here's where I really have a problem with, with the way this was kind of then interpreted in, in the wake of, of this uh, video coming out last week. Everybody's praising Draymond for asking the question, which they should. I think Draymond's going to have an incredible future in the media. Um and I think players interviewing other players sometimes brings out more than you or I can because they have a, a, they stand on the same level, right? So it can be to your advantage. But here's what Draymond did not do. He didn't ask follow-up questions, at least that we know of because we only saw 25 minutes of what I believe was probably a lot longer shoot. Um, he says, am I the reason you're gone? That was the key question. That's the one that we all got all a buzz about, all a Twitter about on Twitter. Am I the reason? Kevin Durant never really answered. It needed a follow-up. Right. But his answer led them down this other path where it was all about how Steve Kerr and Bob Myers fucked up the response. They they screwed up. That may or may not be true. I don't know how to judge that. I don't know what Steve Kerr and Bob Myers could have done, should have done, did do, didn't do, whatever. 90-minute meetings with Draymond says that they're badgering him to have it, make an apology, all this. They did not, they're not the ones who fought. They're not the ones who created the tension in the locker room. Um I'm going to make the analogy. I covered Shaq and Kobe for seven years. They fought with each other like crazy through much of it, won three championships along the way. At no point did Shaq or Kobe say, yeah, we're at each other's throats, but man, it's Phil Jackson's fault for not really, you know, figuring out a way to make us get along. Or it's Jerry West's fault. Or it's Mitch Kupchak's fault. It's Jerry Buss's fault. It's right. the equipment manager's fault. Like that part of it is, I'm sorry, it's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. 
I mean, they may not have handled it well, for all I know. Right. But they're not the reason that Kevin Durant left either. So what my real takeaway from this whole thing is, is that at the end of it all, while we got some interesting moments between them, I don't think we really learned all that much new about that dispute and about Durant's decision to leave. It still came down to what Durant has said all along for two years, which is it was time. It was time for something else. And he says that again. So we really still don't learn much about the how he got from point A to point B from winning two championships with the Warriors and being in a position to win a third to deciding it's time to go team up with Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn instead. It, it, it did not shed new light on the thing that was most celebrated about the video. Well, and, I, and I, I'm agreeing with you, too, that I just I don't think it, it didn't pull the curtain back on on the truth about the situation. Um, no. I, again, I was close to it. It's one of my favorite situations that I've ever covered, if I'm being honest with you, because it was so interesting. Um, I had covered Kevin for his whole career up to that point. So you knew the guy from Seattle, Oklahoma City, and I was stunned when he came to the Warriors. And the longer that, that I've had to kind of unpack you know, my own take on, on what went wrong, if you will. And listen, a lot went right. It's pretty nice to win two chips, but you know why it ended the way it did. I do think it's the fact that Kevin looked at the Warriors uh, with good reason from a basketball mindset. I think that is a major reason he came to town is that he wanted to play the way they competed in the wake of Russell Westbrook and getting tired of watching him pound the ball um, in OKC. There was a basketball perspective on why he wanted to join the Warriors and the part that he underestimated was the essential, like, you know, am I going to feel comfortable and part of their group given all they've already accomplished? Because you're in Steph Curry's shadow. I know he always pushes back on the idea that that matters. I firmly disagree with him in, in terms of, I mean, he's, he's going to speak for himself, but it, there were a lot of signs that that, that part, that it was uh, the magnitude of it was bigger than he realized the love affair between the fans and Steph and, and not even Steph necessarily doing anything wrong. Just like, no, man, you're not, you're coming here and, and your his approval rating is going to be up here sky high all the time. And yours is probably going to come and go because, you know, as great as you are, you're new. And even with Draymond, the, the Warriors fans loved him. I don't think he ever got it to the place and that they helped him get there, you know, too, of just being comfortable uh, being there to the point where, hey, maybe I'll finish my career here. I just, I think once he realized that he, that he couldn't make inroads with some of those dynamics, then then it was uh, just a matter of time. Before we move off this topic, one quick thing that just popped back into my head. Uh, we don't have to get deep on this. I just want to be curious your opinion. Uh, we have a mutual friend who will remain nameless at the moment, but we can talk offline, uh, who asked me last week, do you think Draymond, because he said all this stuff about Bob Myers and Steve Kerr, is Draymond trying to get himself traded? Uh I immediately said, no, I don't think so. I, I, that, that didn't even, even occur to me until uh, this person asked. Uh, any, do you think there's anything to that? No, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I don't. I mean, I got asked on, uh, I did a, a 95.7 radio hit in San Francisco last week, and, and they were asking about possible ripple effects on this team and this season with Draymond. And I'll be honest, I kind of was a little, I, I didn't even see the question coming. Like I shrugged. It was like, no, it's just Draymond. Like they know this. Exactly. They know who he is. Um, my colleague and, and buddy, Anthony Slater, who covers the Warriors at our place, had, had also said on a radio show, like, if they trade Draymond, it will be for basketball reasons. They're, they know who he is, and, and, you know, they're fine with that. You saw some stuff, you know, like Bob Myers, and I admittedly, I had not seen this at the time. Uh, a while back, Bob Myers and Draymond did uh, Adrian Wojnarowski's podcast on ESPN, and, and there was a, you know, you try to reconcile these two things. You go back, and I listened to, like, the five-minute clip where it's pretty good where these two guys are in the room 
talking about what happened. And, and then you try to reconcile that with what Draymond had to say with Kevin. It's pretty challenging because it, you know, <laughs> it was a little, it was kind of fascinating to me to see that that reemerged and you know, yeah. to kind of remind people that, that they're shaping things differently now. The relationship between the Warriors franchise and Draymond Green um, has is, is extensive enough, has gone on long enough with every possible bump, glitch, hiccup, you know, controversy, whatever, and a lot of great stuff too. They've experienced enough together that I cannot imagine. Like that was that was that's a speed bump. Like the Warriors hearing Draymond say it last week was probably like, eh, okay, hundred percent, hundred percent. And as long as Steph is there, I mean, he's. He, he, he's, he's like, you know, till death do us part with Steph Curry. I mean, he really is in my opinion. So yeah, I think he, he's I, on board. I didn't think that was, there was too much to make of it. Um, I, we don't have to spend much time on, on this one either. Cause I want to get to, I've got some burning questions, uh, for the rest of the off season, which I want to get to, but before we get to the burning questions, I'll let that flame go out, Howard, keep them burning. <laughs> You know I'm all about hot takes, flames, fire. <laughs> I'm a medio pyro, uh, media, 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 media pyro. pyro. Uh, well, I, here I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna slow you down even more. I, I missed my bit at the beginning when you introduced me, but it's been tugging at my brain ever since. Speaking of burning hot takes and burning fashion, I have to apologize for my attire today, and I'm gonna blame your buddy Chris Mannix. Like, there's just no way that I'm dressing up to come on a pod that Chris Mannix is normally on. When I was in the bubble with Chris <laughs> in Orlando, uh, you know, the famous story he read, he wore the same sweatpants for like 60 days in a row. And, and there were things I've heard this growing out of them. So if you wondered why I'm rocking the, the Denver airport t-shirt today and, and the old uh, grimy hat, that's, that's who I'm blaming in, in, in Kevin and Draymond spirit. I'm just going to throw somebody else under the bus. I like it. It's uh, it's totally justified. Absolutely appropriate. Um, Mannix won't listen to this anyway, so we neither of us have to well, worry about. <laughs> <laughs> we'll clip just that part. We'll have Shelby, the producer, clip that part. Send it to Chris just so he knows while he's uh, out on vacation. We're thinking about him. How do you have a Denver airport tee? I saw the tips of the mountains, and I thought, oh, maybe it's some sort of weird Denver <laughs> Nuggets alt T-shirt or something. But it's an airport T-shirt. Like who? Denver airport. Were you, were you at the de- like the the uh, uh, in the gift shop, desperate, you had no clean clothes. Is that one of the, one of those situations? The middle of a road trip. If memory serves, and this is a long time, maybe twelve years ago, something like that. Uh, I think I may have. I'm going to give free advertising on your podcast. I may have signed up for a Southwest credit card and uh, and, and gotten a free T-shirt. <laughs> but of the Denver airport. Yes, I probably had time to kill. You know, that's that's uh, that's wild. Um, I had one of those credit cards once upon a time when I lived in California and took all those Southwest flights. Uh, right. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. The best player in the NBA. I don't know why we have to have this discussion every year and why it changes every year because it's, uh, I don't think it's actually changed at all. But because uh, our good friend Tim Bontemps over at ESPN asked 10 people in the NBA um, who now stand in for all of the world, um, and five of them, I think, said Giannis, and five said KD, and none of them said LeBron James. So now we got to go back to washed king hashtags and disrespect stuff and all this other stuff. Uh, I, there's really no controversy here, is there, Sam? And and if it's me, by the way, uh, if I'm weighing in, if if, I, if it's the one player to win one game or one playoff series, by the way, it's still LeBron James if he's healthy. Um, and when we say if healthy, that we could say that about a lot of guys. Like LeBron James went healthy last year, was a leading candidate for MVP before he went down, averaged like 25, 8, and 8 on great efficiency. So um, one, I think he is still the best player in the NBA with all due respect to Katie and, and Giannis. And two, a poll of 10 people does not a definitive uh, discussion make. I'm with you, although as, as a fellow uh, occasional kind of producer of the anonymous executive and scout story. We've all done it. Good job to our, our buddy Timmy Goodtimes because he got a conversation going here. Yep, and Absolutely. But yeah, like the 10, you know, I mean, it's hard. It's funny because as you know, it's not easy to get. It takes a lot of time and effort to get 10 people. Um, so in that respect, from a reporting standpoint, you say that's a lot of heavy lifting to get some read of the room. But then unfortunately it's like, if we were being honest and I've run into this same thing, I don't know what the number is, but if you're trying to have some kind of definitive um, opinion, I mean, for crying out loud, Howard, you look at the Clippers front office and there's, you know, like nine people uh, who would constitute like, who, who would be worthy of being in this type of an article anonymously, meaning like, you know, you could tell me here's 200 executives uh, weighing in and, and and that would, you know, give you a more accurate sense of what people thought. All that being said, I honestly don't even know what my, my take is on who the best player is right now, because we have recency bias where if Giannis lost to the Nets, um, then it would have been Kevin Durant, you know, in a landslide in this poll, I think, even with these 10 executives. And 
because LeBron obviously fell out early and we, you know, quickly forget what he did in the bubble, then LeBron falls off a bit. Um, it's also, though, I mean, Kawhi Leonard getting hurt, Kawhi Leonard not being a champion, uh, you know, but when, when they were coming out of the Toronto title, it, it, Kawhi was the guy that everybody put on the top of these lists. So it's way too attached to, you know, recent events for my taste. Um, you you saying you think it's LeBron just kind of forced me to decide what I think. I mean, LeBron's amazing, and his defense last year was, you know, way better than anticipated And when he was healthy. And you kind of look at the fact that he's he's not just a one-way guy that we thought he was going to be at this stage of his career. But all that pontificating I just gave you, I can't get Giannis out of my mind because I covered him up close, and he was incredible. So, yeah. you know, the two-way aspect of Giannis – does he have major shortcomings at the line? Does he have major shortcomings when it comes to even getting the ball in the post? And, um, you know, the way that he competes and the way he plays, it just does different things that, you know, that 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 baseline spinning jumper that kind of drives you crazy because you want him just to go to the rim. He's got holes in his game, but he's he was incredible in the final. So um, I don't know who it is, but we also – I think we at least agree that I'd like the, the group of like five – that, you know, there is a, a yeah. class A elite, you know, Steph Curry is going to be in that group as well. You know, Kawhi, when healthy, is going to be in that group. So you have a class. These guys are in it, and uh, and, and we'll see what they do next year. They're, they're in uh, – it's a tier, some people would say, perhaps. Yes. Like your, your colleague, Seth Partnow. Seth Partnow, shout out. Go check out. <laughs> I should be a good teammate and pull out here. I'm sure all those guys are in his top tier, but that's the bottom line. So when you at, when you do a poll like this, again, readers, fans, be smart about the way you interpret this. You do a quick hit poll like this. It's not a ballot. There's not two spaces, three spaces, five spaces. It's one, it's one answer. So right. it's not that LeBron was left out of the discussion. It's that every uh, all 10 of those people had to give one answer. If you would right. ask them, give me your top three, LeBron would have been somewhere in the top three, guaranteed on on all of their pseudo ballots, right? And then then we wouldn't be saying, oh, the, he was disrespected. He just happened to fall in a year that he only played 45 games and had a quick playoff exit. He ranked behind guys who had deeper playoff exits and also were spectacular. And it would look different than 10 to zero. But people see 100%. this in such a binary way. Right. Um, so what'd you find on Seth Partnow's tier? Well, here's the funny part. I pulled up, um, <laughs> I accidentally pulled up last year's and you talk about disrespect uh, in, in a, with quotations around it. Um, Kevin Durant. So the way Seth did it, he's got one A and then one B. And as recently as last year, obviously coming off the injury, he had KD as one B. So, I mean, that alone shows you how quickly guys kind of come and go now I, I need to stall a little bit longer to get to this year's. I have not found it well, yet. While you're, so while you're while you're stalling, let me just point out for people who are also mulling, like, well, LeBron's older, so it makes sense that he didn't play as many games last year. LeBron played ten more games than Kevin Durant did. Like Kevin Durant, for all of of the re uh, revival of his career and in really impressive fashion and a, an amazing playoff run, Kevin Durant played thirty five out of seventy two last season. So right, the, but he, I mean, he just, I think obviously what he did at the end was what left yes, people again. Of, of course, bias. recency yeah. bias, but that, yeah. but that, that is actually the point here. So LeBron played 10 more regular season games than Durant, but LeBron had more to deal with once the postseason arrived, the lower place in the standings because of his injury and Anthony Davis's injury, um, having only one co-star and not two co-stars. 
him, he and Anthony Davis both being less than 100%, to say the least, in the playoff. So all that stuff happens. But right. LeBron played 10 more regular season games than Kevin Durant did. And Kevin Durant, if we're going to say that LeBron, we're going to qualify how we view him going forward based on years and miles, which is fair, we should right. also still qualify the fact that Kevin Durant, we still can't say that he's definitively out of the woods on a post-Achilles just because he had no. a great postseason in 35 games. He missed the majority of the season with injuries that some people would say might be tied to the continued recovery from the Achilles a couple of years ago. Like, is he, sure. will he, will he play a full season this coming season? Like we don't know. So, right. Yeah. Right. I sure hope so. Cause he's fun to watch, but it's yes. point well taken. Um, thank you for creating stall time for me. Uh, I got it here. We got Giannis KD and LeBron in tier one a. And so since the disrespect there you go. You know, discussion is so much fun to have, uh, Nuggets fans are surely about to throw their shoe at the screen right now <laughs> because, you know, we haven't even mentioned the reigning MVP, Nikola Jokic, yes. Yes. James Hart. So so Giannis, Durant, LeBron, 1A, and then Seth has James Harden, Kawhi, Jokic, and Steph in 1B. So that would be the, the upper uh, upper crust, if you will, of the NBA. Nice. All right. Uh, people can go argue about that amongst themselves now. All right. Uh, let's close it out with some burning questions and way too early predictions for the offseason, we've got, uh, as we sit here in late August, about, what, six weeks until training camp's open? They'll yeah, you keep talking months. about these dog days like it's a bad thing. You need to chill. We need some dog days. <laughs> no, no, yeah. I'm fine with the dog days. I'm just saying that the dog days produce some absurdities along the way. Um, By right. the way, it's my first, sorry, I keep interrupting you. My first time all these years covering the NBA that I actually have a dog to train during the dog day that's coming. <laughs> I'm taking this to a very literal place. Wait, is that where dog days comes from? I don't know, but don't know I'm either. taking it there. I'm just, just, but it, that, that now I'm wondering, like, is the dog days of summer because you have time to spend with your dog? <laughs> I, I, I have a I dog have no that doesn't, doesn't listen to anybody, and it's because I've been traveling for two months, and, and it's uh, time to train this damn dog. I, this is what your, your boys are for. Get the, get the kids on this. Uh, well, they're back in school, thankfully. Oh, that's right. Uh, uh, California goes early. Yeah. Um who gets all right? First burning question: Who gets traded first, if at all, between now and let's say opening night? Damian Lillard, Ben Simmons, Bradley Beal, and then I'll even give a a, a, a option D, which is maybe some other All Star not on the board. Most likely, uh, throwing darts at this board, so to speak. I mean, I, I'll go with Simmons. Um, with I don't know where, but the idea being that. It does seem by all indications that Beal has made it clear that he's on board with, you know, the work that Tommy Shepard did this offseason, which I think, you know, to Tommy's credit, it's it's pretty tough to go from a Bradley Beal, Russell Westbrook backcourt and those kinds of contracts to the kind of flexibility and, and you know, runway that they have now to at least build out and, and continue to try to put a contender around Beal. So I think for now – it seems like Bradley doesn't want to go anywhere, you know, still. Uh, with Dame, man, his situation is so interesting because I just feel like – I don't remember – again, maybe I have recency bias, but I don't remember ever seeing a star where you had this dichotomy of seemingly really ready to, 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 to go. You know what I mean? Like ready to try something new, frustrated in his current situation to the point of wanting something else – but then because he's a smart guy who knows you just, you know, even if something that you have currently is imperfect, 
you know, the grass is not always greener mentality needs to be there. Like, I don't, bottom line, I don't think Dame looks out there and sees a place that he wants more than what he currently has in Portland that is feasible because he knows how this league works. He knows he's not totally in control here. He's under contract for several more years. So there's just nowhere that I think he's good going. And he does control some parts of this situation because the team that would be getting him, uh, I think, wants to make sure he wants to be there. So um, that takes it to Philly where – you know, I, I don't know where Ben goes. I think Daryl Morey would love nothing more than, you know, Ben going to Portland and Damian Lillard coming back his way. Uh, mm-hmm. I think if Damian wanted that, it probably would have happened already. So, um, again, I'm, I'm only giving half the equation. I think it's Ben. Uh, I, I have no clarity as of yet as to where he might land. I have the same answer. I think it's Ben Simmons mostly because that's the one where you know for sure that it there's a desire for it to happen. We know the Sixers want to move him. We know that his representation has been involved in those discussions with them. We know that they already tried to move him for James Harden many months ago. And we know that his flame out in the playoffs, worse than a flame out, his, his just uh, everything about that performance and refusal to shoot. Um, it makes it the situation, I think, untenable. It'd be, I think it'd be really hard to open training camp with Simmons there and even harder to get to opening night in Philly with Ben Simmons going out there with opening introductions and probably getting just crushed by the home fans like right the Sixers can slow play this and say oh we're under no pressure da, 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 da. and, and Daryl will do that and Daryl's willing to take whatever uh you know blowback as a result I'm sure he's going to want to get the best deal but there's a limit like I I, I think it's going to be really uncomfortable if they get the to opening night with Ben Simmons still on the roster so that's why I think he's traded it's it's that's the one where it's, it's the most urgency uh number two deeper playoff run next season the Miami Heat or the Phoenix Suns? You like the way I got that Heat and Suns together? That is good. Who's going to be hotter? Who's um, going to be hotter? I mean, you're you're forcing me to try to you know to to run the old playoff odds machine and figure out like scenarios. Also, yes, but also re- keep in mind whichever team you don't pick, it's because you hate them and you're dissing them, <laughs> insulting them, disrespecting them. Um, you hate them. You hate their fan base. You hate their city. You hate their mayor, uh, well, their cuisine. So uh, d- don't worry. There's nothing at stake here. People are already convinced we hate these two teams because we don't have beat writers for them, but that, you know, that's <laughs> conversation. Um, I will go with uh, – this might be, you know, we'll see if, if it, the logic uh, is sound. But I'm going to say Phoenix. Uh, I like the Suns. I, I, I mean, I like both teams. I like, I mean, Kyle Lowry is a future Hall of Famer and a, and a fantastic player who I think still has it. I think is going to help Miami. You know, you add P.J. Tucker and the versatility combined with the, the toughness, you know, and, and I think they're going to have a personality and have that heat mentality that, uh, that they enjoy having. So they're going to be a tough out all the time. But the Suns, I think, are actually special, and I think we are forgetting that already going into this season. And, I, again, I guess to go full circle and bring it back to the Monty Williams conversation, we talked in the other day about continuity and the value of it, and I think that's going to serve them really well in a time in the West when there's not a ton of continuity. Even the Lakers, who a lot of people are going to handicap as maybe the favorite coming out of the West, have got all these new pieces to put together – um, you know, Denver is going to be waiting on Jamal Murray. We have no idea when he's coming back. So that's uh, very analogous to the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard. And so the, the Warriors even, they're the Warriors. They have championship pedigree, but they also have a 
severe lack of continuity beyond Steph and Draymond. Cause remember Clay Thompson's not coming back right away. You know, you're talking about December, January for him. So that's a long winded way of saying, I think the Suns can exploit all of that and win a lot of games and put themselves in a good spot come playoff time to make an impact. Yeah. Um, I think I lean Suns also in this conversation. I love what the Heat did. I love the fit of Kyle Lowry. We all do. I think the Heat are a top four team, but I also think that that means, you know, invariably, of course, that means in the second round they're they're seeing either the, the probably the Bucks or the the Nets, especially if they're number three and they're going to get, with <clears throat> you know, Bucks and Nets are one two in some order or another. We all assume. So if you're three, you're getting one. I mean, if you're four, you're getting the other one. What does it really matter? Either way. Right. Um, right. Those teams are just going to be really tough. I I think that the Bucks, um, I think the Heat can beat those teams. I don't know that they they actually will. I think that um, the the thing about the West is as good as the Lakers might be, as 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 great as the Warriors could be again, as stout as the Jazz have been, as good as the Nuggets could be, especially if they get Jamal Murray back somewhere along the way. I just feel like the the top of the West is really kind of in flux. There's just all these caveats, right? Um. And Although you mentioned Utah, I, I keep the second you said the Utah name, my my guilt washed over me. I mean, that's another. You talk about continuity. The Jazz are, are have got it in spades, and I think they're going to be dangerous. Yeah. So I think I think the Suns have the shot at the deeper run, if for no other reason than I think there's just more um, volatility to the top of the West than there is to the top of the East, where I think the Bucks and Nets, you know, the usual barring injury, whatever, are just so ensconced, it's going to be really hard to, to move them out right. of there. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is! And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. All right, so 
Speaking of the Suns, who will be this season's Suns, and I could say Suns slash Hawks, which is the team that just takes the unexpected leap? Um, and and uh, like uh, seriously, one that we just couldn't see coming, even though right now what we're saying is that we are going to try to see it coming. <laughs> um, I should. Uh, are you a Ted Lasso watcher, Howard? Not yet. It's on the list. I'm going to get to All it right. as soon as we finish Halt and Catch Fire. Well, I, I watched it last night without giving too much away. There's a famous uh, character. Roy Kent is a former player, and he becomes a media analyst. And in last night's episode, he gets asked a similar question. And I, I should answer like Roy Kent, which is, we don't know. We don't effing know. We don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> We're not in the locker room, Howard. We don't know what's happening. <laughs> All we do is judge. And, you know. but anyway. I love it. I love it already. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't deliver it like Roy Kent. I'm not nearly, uh, you know, mean enough. All right, who is the emerging team that we didn't see coming? Uh, I'm clearly not coming completely prepared on this question. Um, Here's the thing. I've answered Chicago in other similar conversations, but then I've also been quickly checked with the question of like, all right, fine, so 31 wins last year. Like how many more are you giving them, you know, with (laughs) Lonzo Ball and and DeMar? And and that's when you kind of go, oh, yeah, I mean, I wasn't pegging them as a 50-win team. Um, you know, they are certainly interesting when it comes to upgrading your roster in the kind of way that might work for the short term. Um, I think an offshoot of this that I'm fascinated by is, is the pressure that it puts on the front office. You know, Arturis Karnasivis coming from Denver has made the kind of moves that, that, you know, might look good now, but it's one of those, he's, it's not all in, but it's close. You know what I mean? Like these moves have, yeah. have got to work. And so that one to me, you know, comes to mind. I don't know uh, how you see it, though. It. I mean, it should be the Bulls, right? Yeah. Um, we know that there's always been talent there, uh, especially Zach Levine, who had like a career year that we, we, he couldn't even get rewarded for with an All-NBA nod or anything else because they were such a disaster down the stretch. And they make this all-in move uh, at the trade deadline and they, they still can't even get to the playoffs or even to the play-in. Like, So it's it's hard to buy into the bulls. I feel like I've been burned too many times by them in the last few years where I thought they were ready for a breakout and they just couldn't right. get there. Um, I, there's been real mixed reviews about their off season. Like I, I created this question to throw at you as the host, which normally means I have a responsibility to answer it myself. I don't know yeah. <laughs> to, to the, to your Ted Lasso character. I, 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 <laughs> I, I truly don't know on this one. I'm tempted to actually go with a couple of teams that should be rebounding because they, they, they shouldn't have been as, as bad as they were last year. Like Boston, Indiana, Toronto, all should be better than what they were. And so is that truly the unexpected leap of Suns or Hawks? No, those were also kind of historically surprising one year leaps. So maybe sure. there, maybe there is no Hawks or, or uh, Suns this year, in which case I've created a flawed, stupid question. Um, Jalen Suggs will lead the Magic to a 50-win season. <laughs> there we go. There's my hot take. All right, so who's this this season's Pacers uh, or Pacers, Raptors, Celtics? Basically, like good team that flops or just just disappoints. I guess I should say like flop is maybe a little too strong of a word. But who's this year's Pacers? I mean, I don't know how it's going to unfold. If I mean, and I'm not certainly uh, the first one to say this in terms of just you know going the wrong direction. Uh, the Pelicans had a lot to, you know, uh, to kind of work for this off season and a lot of pressure in their situation with Zion Williamson. You know, we had a good piece at our place. Uh, I think it was Will Guillory, our beat writer out there. And 
Sean Sharani and, and Joe Varden, I believe, reporting on Zion and the fact that, you know, around him, there's some folks that would love to see him play in the garden. And, and that whole idea that like, you know, yet again, you know, can New Orleans hold on to a star? And, you know, in this small market landscape, um, it was a tough summer. So, you know, they make the play for Kyle Lowry, that falls flat. Then they're in the middle of this investigation about that, you know, sign and trade situation, um, seemingly. And I think that bottom line, it just the roster didn't improve to the kind of place where you feel like Zion's going to be happier now. And how does this manifest on the court? Um, I think, you know, you already had, I mean, the coaching situation has been not ideal by any means. You know, you go pay a bunch of money to Stan Van Gundy and, and he's out after one year. I think Willie Green has got a very good reputation, but he's a first-time head coach. And so in terms of uh, the way the winds are blowing, uh, I'd be stunned if the Pelicans went out and, and had the kind of major step forward that was going to seemingly improve that situation. Yeah, no, hard to disagree with any of that. And I thought they had one of the more disappointing off-seasons given um, another coaching change, given how much they needed to make positive personnel moves and and the moves they did make seem like a wash at best. It's hard to see where the step forward is unless it's just internal improvement and a different response to a new coach. I, I, I you know, New Orleans and Portland are the two teams you just look at, at least as we're sitting here in late August. Now there's still off season to go. As we say, we are in the dog days, but we've got six weeks of off season. Maybe some of the teams that we thought should have been making dramatic moves. will find that one fix it trade. I I'm skeptical at this stage. Um, but yeah, but when I'm thinking about like this season's Pacers, Sam, I'm thinking more about like team that like had high expectations and like just, you know, falls flat, falls yeah. flat, gagged, just fell short for whatever reason. Right. Um, the team I keep coming back to, I'm sad to say is the one in my backyard, which is the, the Knicks. And it's, it's partially because they got ahead of schedule. Like it's almost in some ways, the worst thing that could have happened to them is that, um, everything broke right for them. They had a healthy season. Julius Randle becomes an all NBA player in year seven. Suddenly nobody could see that coming. Thibodeau coaches the living bleep out of everybody because that's what he does. Um, but now you got to replicate that and you finish third in a year when Miami underachieved, Boston underachieved, Indiana underachieved, Toronto underachieved. Like not all of those teams are necessarily going to bounce all the way back, but this was, it was a weird season and a COVID season and all this other stuff. We already know the Hawks are better than the Knicks because they beat them in a in a series. So Miami adds Kyle Lowry. Like I feel like the reasonable expectation for the Knicks. I'm, I, I'm not going to call them a disappointment if they're out of the top four. I'm going to say that's where they should finish. Sure. Yeah. Um, but people are going to expect more out of them because they're going to see last year as some breakthrough starting point when in fact a lot of it was, you know, things kind of broke their way. Um, and it's not to diminish their achievement. They, they legitimately achieved, but what happened around them with the rest of the conference matters too. And a lot of those teams are going to be better based on, you know, say Rick Carlisle's now in Indiana. You know, they had a disastrous one-year stint with their head coach. They've now got Rick Carlisle, one of the best coaches in the NBA. Kyle Lowry's in Miami. Toronto played the entire year in Tampa. Uh, Boston has completely reformatted themselves. Like, I just think that by virtue of the Knicks, mostly, I don't want to say they're, they're treading water. They, they did add Kemba, and if Kemba stays healthy, if his knees are good, he's a phenomenal pickup, and and that helps a lot. But I just think that they're kind of in the same place that they were, mostly the same roster. Those other teams, I think, got better or already were better in, in, on paper anyway, for whatever that matters. 
And I think the Knicks are going to end up looking at a glance like some kind of disappointment. They shouldn't be viewed that way, but I do think they are at least in for a a descent of some sort in the standings. I mean, it's either going to work or it's not, which is, I know, not exactly a hot take, but I do think they have shades of the Bulls, meaning, you know, because like the Evan Fournier move, I don't love the money, but he's, you know, he's a good player. He's a good player. Yeah. Yeah. And so like they added pieces that, that should conceivably allow them to take a, a step up. And Kemba in particular, I, I like the idea of Kemba in the garden with a bit of a chip on his shoulder because, absolutely, you know, he's he's had a tough couple of years and, you know, the fit in Boston didn't seem to be there. And and so um, I like what they, they did. I don't know if it's going to work. I actually kind of see the Knicks and the Hawks, uh, you know, ironically since they faced off in the playoffs, but – with you know similar pressure on them because with Atlanta they go out you know they hold on to John Collins they extend Trey Young um, you know they're in a really good spot and they had such a fantastic year but it does seem like yesterday that they were 14 and 20 to start the season and and we've seen you know this group when they were struggling that obviously was back when when Lloyd Pierce was coaching they 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 bring Nate McMillan on after that um, and they had a ton of injury at that time I mean Bogdanovich was out. And so there were things going on, but, you know, Atlanta is another one that you wonder internally with the Hawks, you know, okay, what are the realistic expectations for who they're going to become? Because if you're, you know, doing as well as you did last year, I think advancing on that is going to be challenging. And and it's a, it's a fair point. And actually, because the Hawks had this couldn't possibly foresee it breakthrough season, for all their talent, they are still pretty young. Yeah, they added some veterans, and those veterans were part of their success last season. But yeah, they're a team that could actually uh, regress a little bit too. You know, right. they, they could be. They're the team now that everybody's saying, "Oh, they're they're here. They're legit. They're young. They're going to be contending for the next ten years now." But that doesn't. It's not always linear in the NBA. Like they they could slip as some of those other teams I mentioned rise again. Like although isn't it isn't it crazy though? How I feel like more than ever we had all these what if scenarios in, in the most recent playoffs because. We focus on Durant against Milwaukee and what if he would have actually pulled yeah. his foot back. Okay, Brooklyn beats Milwaukee, they advance. Before then, uh, I'm sorry, after then, but in the conference finals with Atlanta, um, you know, Trey getting hurt when he basically runs into a referee yeah. was major, you know, and, and, and the Bucs didn't have Giannis at that time. And who knows if, if somehow the Hawks pull that off if Trey's healthy. But yeah. uh, in the absence of that, you do now have – that, that burden upon you that you're seeing as a team that, that is trying to break into the upper crust in the East, and, and we'll see if they can do it. And I just want to add this real quick, too. I actually like what the Knicks did this offseason. Like, I'm not – this is not me saying that the, the offseason was bad for them. I, I think that they may disappoint in the standings next season because um, I just don't think they have enough top-end talent. But I actually – I like the Fournier pickup, contract or no contract, whatever. He's a good player, and he's another guy who can create with the ball in his hands. Obviously, Kemba can create with the ball in his hands, and their biggest problem last season was they didn't have enough guys who could create with the ball in their hands. I think that was – Holding on to D. Rose, man. You know, we'll see <laughs> if you can do it again. We'll see. We'll see. Um, I was going to ask you the non-contender under the most pressure, but you mentioned the Pelicans at length, and that was actually my answer for that question too. So we can skip past that one pretty quickly. But I do think sure. like there's there's a lot going on there from the Zion element to it's year what year three with David Griffin, I think, at the helm, and you know uh, third coach they're on, and um, there's just it's just it just feels like a really tenuous situation all around. Agreed. Um, so let's finish with this. Um, and it's way too early, but these are way too early takes that I'm, that I'm asking you. Uh, so, um, as we sit here in late August, 
Who's your top four in the East? And then we'll do top four in the West. But we'll do East first. As we sit here in August. In, in no order, by the way. You don't have to go one, one, two, three, four. Just who is the group? So we'll go East first. Uh, I got Brooklyn. I got Milwaukee. Um, I'm going to go Atlanta for everything I, you know, all the red flags I just waved. And then I will go Miami. I've got uh, the same four. Yeah. It's, you know, again, we, we like, you know, Atlanta, Miami, you like them and Miami in particular. Can I just say as an aside that I, it's weird. We don't normally get in our feelings about transactions. Like it kind of made me sad to see PJ Tucker go to the heat just because I just saw like the love that he and Giannis shared as they won this championship, including by the way, one of my favorite playoff moments when I don't know, you probably saw this when uh, Giannis highlighted uh, PJ's $250,000 shoes to the room full of reporters and, and PJ got, he got incredibly uncomfortable. He's looking at Giannis like, what are you doing? Like these people don't make this in a year. Shut up about my $250,000 shoe. <laughs> I missed, I missed that one. Um, but it, it was, it was weirdly charming because it was yeah. like PJ's the old head and he was even as Giannis is a grown man at this point, but it was, they, they had a good little connection and then it's a luxury tax hit as far as the, the, the Bucks didn't want to pay. It's about $7 million that would have cost them about 30 Yeah, Fine, I get it. But now, guess who has to face P.J. as part of that Miami Heat wall? Um, you know, it's going to be Giannis at some point in the playoffs, most likely. Yeah. Um, out West, I'm going Lakers, Utah, Phoenix, and uh, I'm going to put – Golden State in there. I was tempted to put Dallas, but I, I believe in the Warriors, um, especially the second half of the season Warriors. And uh, and Clay Thompson's situation is going to be really interesting to cover uh, and to watch because I um, I just – you talk about pressure. Again, I know the fans always think, oh, get out of here. He's making 30-plus million a year. The guy hasn't played the game in two years. By the time he comes back, it'll be two and a half. And so – I just hope for his sake he can find a way to get right and, and play like himself but not have to feel like he's coming back and putting that Superman S on his chest because, you know, by the time he gets back, it's going to be the thick of it, right? Like the games are really going to matter. And so I think that'll be really interesting. Well, two and a half years that Clay will have been out and coming back from back-to-back probably the two worst injuries to have in the NBA an ACL right. and Achilles. So it's not even just how long he's been out. It's, it's the kind of rehab and the kind of the, the implications for the kinds of injuries he had, especially the Achilles. Um, that's just really tough. And I think people are making a lot of assumptions, understandably like, Oh, well the Warriors will be the Warriors again because Clay's back with Steph and Draymond. And you know, they, they did a nice job. You know, I like, I love the Otto Porter signing and you know, uh, you know, Bielitsa, whatever, like they had a nice, you know, decent off season. I, I, I'd be, uh, more confident in them, in them if they had been able to flip some of their young assets and, and picks and whatever for another veteran, an impact player or two. But um, all in all, they're fine. So we disagree on the Andre Iguodala slander here, Howard. My I, goodness, I, 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 that's actually that. No, that's erasure. No, I, I didn't mention him, so it's erasure. It's not slander. <laughs> if I had said that he won't make an impact, fair, that's slander. Fair. My leaving him out of the conversation is erasure. We got to get all of our our modern lingo right. Can we um, let the record show that you've now dropped obfuscate, um, erasure. <laughs> what was the other one you you cracked me up on? This is this is fantastic. I don't. Like, I don't remember. Every so often, I'll throw one of those. I, I put one of those words in a sentence or whatever back in the day, and our our buddy Stein would text me uh, about saying that specific word. That was a New York Times word. 
back right, in my right. times days. I'm about um, to shut my video off and, and go grab my thesaurus and come back. Obfuscate is definitely a New York Times word. Yes. Um, so we were we were four we agreed on this on the four teams up top on the east. We're uh, agree on three of the four in the west. I'm with you on Lakers, Suns, and Jazz. That fourth team, like it could be as you mentioned, could be the Warriors, could be Dallas as you mentioned, could even be the Clippers. Like you know, I think talk about slander. After all we've seen, uh, or after we all saw all we saw of Paul George after Kawhi went out. I think people should be reevaluating their yeah. view of Paul George. Like, can Paul George carry the Clippers to a top four finish without Kawhi? Yeah, I, I think he can. I mean, it's a it's a lot to ask of him. But look, the Mavericks are a one-star team right now. You know, um, the Blazers have been a one-star team and finished in the top four. Like, it, it's it's possible. But my fourth team is actually the Nuggets. How about you and your, your Jokic slander right there? I know, Clearly. I know. Um, and here's here's why. Like, so this starts. We start to get into like a chronology thing here, where Jamal Murray and Kawhi Leonard. People are kind of assuming neither of them are a factor next season. But Jamal Murray's injury uh, was way before Kawhi Leonard's, and he's younger. I think there's a decent chance that Jamal Murray. I'm just talking out my ass here, but just speculatively, Jamal Murray could come back maybe midseason, somewhere in there. Um, right. But also, they'll have a full year of Aaron Gordon. They've got another year of uh, assumed Michael Porter Jr. Uh, development, and they've got the MVP, Nikola Jokic. So, um, and Michael Malone, I think, always gets you know, the most out of that group in general. I think the Nuggets can and will finish in the top four again. But yeah, the wild card here is that if Clay is Clay, <laughs> the Warriors should absolutely be there. Um, maybe Porzingis, after a full offseason of, of being able to train and not rehabbing from a knee surgery, Maybe he becomes the second star that we've seen flashes of at times in Dallas, and maybe it's Dallas in that fourth spot. Um, maybe it's the Clippers. I mean, that that again, there's that fluidity atop the West. No, I think partly what you're hitting on, and you're right, is that we are guilty of you know once we're all, when we break things down like this, I feel like aren't we looking for reasons to knock teams down? You know, so you see yes. no Kawhi, you see you no know, Jamal, <clears throat> and it's like I should know as well as anyone. Because, I mean, I, I wrote a lot about those Nuggets teams without Jamal and the fact that, like, they were pretty damn good without him. You know, they kept winning games. Aaron Gordon was, you know, a perfect fit for the first month or so when he first got there. So they're going to win a lot of games. Clippers going to win a lot of games. Dallas, I think, is interesting, too, because for as much as Luka, with good reason, is now universally um, kind of, you know, heralded as, as the best young player in the game, for the most part, he's still a guy who's been bounced from the first round multiple times and, it's time for him, you know, come hell or high water to, to take that next step. And, uh, and so I think there's some pressure there too. Yeah, there's, there surely is. I mean, we, I think a lot of us, at least I'll be in this camp, I'll be the one throwing up the caveat every time of like, yeah, okay. Like, yeah, he's been knocked out the first round, but like he hasn't really had that second star, the, the, the supporting cast. I mean, Rick Carlisle is another one of those guys who squeezes every last ounce from your, you know, your Powell's and your, uh, uh, Finney Smiths and your uh, Finney Smith, uh, your, your various Dorians. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's, they, I think there's only one Dorian. <laughs> there's probably only one Dorian in NBA history. Um, you know, got the most out of Tim Hardaway Jr. Who didn't look as great when he arrived uh, as, as, as he evolved into um, and has become a good player. Like, and now Carlisle's gone and it's, and it's Jason Kidd, uh, which I, who knows what <laughs> that means for the Mavericks given right. kids, uh, uh, let's just say uh, mixed past as a coach. 
So I don't think that's on Luca if they if they fail. I th- he's still for me in that grace period where it's more about the supporting cast. But um, but yeah, like it's gonna be, it's it may be a four or five way battle for that fourth spot, which starts to matter more in the play-in era where now it's like, well, you don't want to drop. You know, if you're in the fifth, sixth spot, okay, but now you're precariously close to seventh, and now you're in a play-in, and you know, it's there's right. a ripple effect for for all of that. There's more more consequences. Uh, any parting thoughts before we uh, I cut you loose and we both just dive back into the dog days? You literally, because you have a dog, you have to train. I have two cats who couldn't be trained even if I tried. Um, there are no cat days as far as I'm aware of. Uh, I <laughs> uh, parting thoughts. Uh, nothing other than I just want to remind you that during my time at Sacramento State, we uh, we won the Cosby Classic <laughs> more times than we lost. So there's that. Um, you know, I told you a couple months ago, though, I, I did get my vaccine through the UC Davis Medical Center. So that came with mixed emotions. You know, <laughs> I, I would have uh, worn an Aggie hat that day if I had to. So, you know, they, they did do something right over there. There we go. One of these days, you, you and I will compete in something and then we will have a, a, like a, the jersey exchange afterward. But it'll be like a hat exchange. We'll go to Sac State for UC Davis hats or something. Yeah. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm very heartened that you got vaccinated at a UC Davis medical center. Um, yes. I will tell you that because I'm a bit uh, <clears throat> older than you, the Aggies never lost to the Hornets during my time at UC Davis. So, and in fact, won like 17 straight conference championships and all kinds of other stuff. So, you know, we don't need to get into all that though. Were, um, you, were you penning, you know, fire columns at this time about the Causeway Classic? Were you covering these games? I was covering those games for the California Aggie, the student newspaper, UC Davis, and then occasionally freelancing for the now defunct Sacramento Union. Um, which competed against your old paper, the Sacramento Bee. And, and hey, you just aged yourself again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so many different ways of making myself uh, sound as old as I actually am. Uh, yeah, covered a lot of those. Um, prob- probably was uh, was uh, a little hard on that UC Davis athletic department at times, as, as they would tell you back in the day. I got, I got, I got, I got, uh, I, pu- I sharpened that knife early in my career. So they they <laughs> were like, your Knicks before the Knicks? <laughs> so something like that hey the lakers didn't get spared either right they, that's fair they, that's they, fair even even amidst all those winning seasons and three championships there, there there were some tough ones there too uh sam this has been a blast thank you enjoy what's left of of uh the summer um make sure you keep that dog in line and uh we'll see you soon somewhere my friend thank you brother appreciate you be good howard Okay, that's it for today's show. My thanks again to Sam Amick. Thanks to our producer, Shelby Royston. And thank you all for listening. Remember, you can hear Chris Mannix and me every Tuesday on The Crossover with all the latest NBA chatter. And then on Fridays, it's me and a guest. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to The Crossover wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, go subscribe to the Sports Illustrated Podcasts channel on YouTube. And of course, hit me with all your feedback on Twitter at Howard Beck. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.